Sexual brokenness, and that can take a lot of different forms, right? Anything from sexual addiction, pornography, um, promiscuity, right? Um, teen pregnancy or out-of-wedlock pregnancy. You have uh, just a whole host of things can be same-sex attraction, um, right? Our society has a cornucopia of sexual brokenness that we can be involved in. Uh, many of us have struggled over the years with some of these things. We don't want that for our children. We, uh, we, so that can be a huge thing that we can fear. What else? Okay. Um, hanging out with the wrong people, right? Those people are going are gonna to take my kid down a path that we don't want to see them go down. Yes. Okay, that your child knows all the right stuff, but it doesn't, but it doesn't penetrate into their heart, right? Yeah, that's You've already kind of moving ahead of where I'm, where I'm going. You're cheating. Have you looked at my notes? Yeah, it's right there on the, it was right there on the, on the, on the screen. Yeah, we'll come back to that one for sure. What else? Oh, man, technology. Yeah, in and of itself, that, uh, you know, you look around the room and everyone's on a device and you're thinking, how did we end up here? Um, certainly, parenting seemed more simple without all the devices that we have to deal with today, for sure. Yes. Okay, so the small choices, especially when it, when it involves maybe rebellion, um, right? We, see, we can see a child kind of blowing their future, right? Oh, man, you're, so you're, you're apathetic. You don't want to go to school. I was talking with a parent just this week um, who's having a problem with one of his teens, and his teen is like an athlete and pretty smart, but he's like almost flunking a couple classes and doesn't want to go to school and doesn't... You know, and you're thinking, man, he could get a scholarship, and you're just, you know, the whole future's laid out, and you're just seeing these choices that they're making, and you're thinking, wow, um, that could be rough. Uh, one of my staff members said he just doesn't want his child to end up as bad as he was. <laughs> you know, right? That can be, we, we, we can have our own baggage and things that we were involved with when we were younger. Um, you know, we may fear, sometimes I fear that my kids are never going to leave home, uh, you know, they're, they're, one's in the basement now, and I just think, wow, they could boomerang back. So, you know, we have all these fears. What, what's not on the list, though, generally, when you have this kind of discussion, and that was alluded to earlier, though, is um, we don't fear our kids being a prodigal. I mean, we fear them being a prodigal, but we don't fear them being a Pharisee, right? The Pharisee child is actually one in our home that we're really comfortable with. Um, it's... They generally obey the rules all the time. They, they kind of fly under the radar, and uh, they don't make any waves. And so it can be a place where we feel pretty comfortable with that. But the question that, that I want to ask when you think about that is, who was Jesus most critical of? You think of everybody that he interacted with, and the people that he had the hardest time with were the, uh, the religious, judgmental, not penetrating into their heart um, people, right? Who just kind of had this veneer of Christianity or, or a relationship with God, and it, didn't, it wasn't real, and it didn't, it didn't penetrate down into their heart. Um, we call that, what, what, Mark, there's a little bit of a, you hear the feedback or something? It sounds kind of odd to me, so if you can adjust that. Um, but there's, it's kind of like a, when you get a, a shot, right, a flu shot or whatever, you get inoculated with the gospel, you have just enough truth that you really never, never catch the whole thing. Um, 
And that's, that is something that we need to be fearful of, right? That our, our kids are around Christianity. And we are definitely going to dive into that in this series and talk about that in depth. Um, so how, if it's hard to spot a Pharisee, what are some ways that we can do that and try to figure out, you know, how is it to, that we know if we have a Pharisee in our home that we're raising? Um, you know, one of the things, one of the questions to ask is, do they care more about being loving or about being right? Okay. Do your kids care more about being loving or more about being right? Hold on. I just had, um, I remember years ago, I was at a, a junior high camp and we were staying in this cabin with a bunch of, a bunch of students and with another youth group that I didn't, I didn't know the students there. And this student comes running out towards me and he's like, Hey, one of the kids cussed in the cabin, you know, he was ready just to tell me. And I was thinking, really, is that the most important thing going on here in this situation that one of the kids just said a cuss word, you know, because how he's reacting, you know, he's, he's more concerned about, you know, are we following the rules here? You know, and I said, well, hey, did you, did you have a conversation with him? Do you, know, do you want to get to know him at all? Do you care about him? Or do, is it just that he said a bad word and you come run and tell me right away? You know, that's your, that's your first response uh, in this situation. And so, you know, that's a good question to ask when we're thinking about our kids or even when we're thinking about ourselves. Do I want to be right or do I want to be loving when I interact with other people? Um, do they show love or compassion for the sinner? Okay. Do you see your students showing love or compassion uh, for the sinner? I, I, my story, I was, I was a, a Pharisee, a really good Pharisee in high school, if there, if there is, is such a thing. I was a big Pharisee. How about that? I, I, so I relate to the, the older brother in the story of the, of the prodigal. I relate to the Pharisees because that was definitely where I was. And then I had a prodigal experience. So I kind of relate to both, both sides in that story. And when I, was, when I was in high school, I can specifically remember being at youth group and hearing, um, hearing somebody share about Jesus, uh, something, you know, anything about their spiritual life. And in my mind, I knew that they were at a party like the last weekend, you know, drinking or something. And I can remember just completely dismissing whatever it was that they said. Like, I was like, that's not authentic. That's not real. You're, you know, you're talking, but you're not even a believer. And the fact that I, you know, that we make judgments on people who claim to be Christians is not non-biblical. That's actually a biblical principle. But there was no compassion in my heart at all when I remember that story. I didn't think, oh, maybe they struggle, you know. I was just like, oh, I know, I know who you are. And, you know, you're saying this, but I don't think any of it's real. And I definitely doubted that they were Christians. And I had no compassion for them whatsoever uh, as I interacted with them. And I, I'm not sure if this is always the case, but I, I do wonder at times if when we're raising a child that has pharisaical tendencies... Is it because they've never really struggled with what we call scandalous sin, okay, that it's easy for them to look at other people and think, you know, God's pretty lucky to have me, you know? Um, I'm a good kid. I don't, you know, I'm not doing any of the big sins, right? Uh, and, and you can kind of think, I, yeah, I got this whole Christianity thing down pat. These rules really aren't that hard to keep. And, and I think God's, God's pretty lucky to have me. Um, so we can see how bad 
the sin is in other people because we see other people who do have scandalous sin, what we would consider scandalous. But then we tend to minimize our own sin, right? That's what I do think at, at times we all struggle with that to some degree. We minimize our own problems, but we look at other people's problems and go, man, that's, that's a pretty big problem you have. I mean, Jesus addressed this, right? He said that you need, you need to look at the log in your own eye before you point out the speck in your brother's eye. Um, so we definitely see that idea. Um, and you see this for sure in the, when Jesus is talking about, in Luke 18, he, he says this about, um, about Pharisees. He said, and I won't have this on the screen, but he told the parable that some trusted in, their, in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. I think it's interesting that he says that. Some trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. For I fast twice a week and give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, that you have the Pharisee sitting here going, man, I'm glad I'm not like all these other people. I am glad that I am righteous. I am glad. That's exactly like me in high school. I was sitting in youth group going, I am so glad I'm not like these fakers who are here thinking all this stuff. I am the righteous guy. I deserve to be here. Um, so let's, let's dive into the older brother, the parable of the older brother. Um, when Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, it's funny, we call this the, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, you, most of you will be familiar with this story. Uh, so the beginning of this parable is where Jesus is, is talking, and there was a, a son who went to his father and said, I want my inheritance now, the younger brother. And uh, his dad gave him the money, and he went off to a faraway land, a far country, right? And he squandered it uh, with pretty much wild living. We can assume that involves, you know, a abuse of alcohol and sex and pretty much anything you can imagine that he got involved with and then he lost everything, right? Um, there was a famine in the land. He ends up feeding the pigs and he comes home. His father is watching for him um, and accepts him with open arms and he's repentant, right? He comes back repentant and then you pick up the story here in Luke 15 because Jesus, again, when he's saying the context of the story, he's talking to Pharisees. He's addressing the, the older brother in the room. He says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and said, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders, and you have never given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Okay, so that's his reaction. What are some things that you see in the older brother's reaction here that can kind of tell us what's going on in his heart? Okay, so it's a, you're saying it's a human reaction. He's... He's jealous because his brother is, is getting all this attention and he, he didn't have the courage, you're saying, to go out on his own, possibly. Okay, his obedience is self-serving. Yeah, so we, we, see, we see that when he says, um, I, 
I have never disobeyed your orders, right? He has kind of a works-based, we would call it, you know, we know that the father is the, is the God figure in the story, but he has a very works-based relationship with his dad. Hey, look, I've been obeying you all this time, and yet you haven't, you haven't done anything for me, okay? We, we, we kind of have a transactional, we all struggle at times with being transactional with God as well. He's not happy with the father. He's blaming him. He's mad, right? Um, yeah, he doesn't have, remember, he doesn't have joy or repentance, joy at his brother's repentance in this situation. Um, in fact, his, his dad says, I have your brother back safe and sound, which implies, you know, we didn't know where your brother was. We didn't know if he's alive. He's in this far country. We don't know what's going on. The older brother is just, as soon as he knows his brother's back safe and sound, his reaction is to be really angry. Okay, think about that. So, there, again, there's no compassion uh, at his father's mercy, at his father's reaction. There's no compassion for his brother himself. Um, and then uh, the last thing here that we see is he sees his service to his father as a duty. Okay, right? And we see that where he says um, in verse 29, but he answered, look. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I've been slaving for you. So his interaction with his dad is, is a duty. It's not something he does out of joy. It's not something he does out of love. It's his duty. Um, and those are things, again, that we can, we can look for these in, our, in ourselves. We should always do that, right, and hold this up as a mirror to ourselves. And we can look at this in regards to our kids. Is our kids spiritual service, you know, is going to church for them just a duty? Is it something we have to force them to do? Or is it something that you see them start to take joy in at some point? Yes, it will be duty for a while, right? It will be that for a season for sure. But at some point, it needs to transition into something that they, that they want to do. Do they have compassion for other people uh, that, are, that are caught up in, in sin do they, um, do they view their relationship with God as transactional? So these are things that we can look for. Uh, a good resource, um, Prodigal God by Tim Keller, is just a fantastic book. I recommend that for pretty much, it's one of my favorite books that, that Tim has done, and he did a whole sermon series on this, and uh, it's excellent. So I definitely want to recommend that to you. Um, so... I do want to say, as we're talking about the, the Pharisee child, it's easier to think that our kids are Christians when they act morally, right? So if we have just a good moral child, we're like, okay, they, they might be a Christian. Um, when they're not rocking the boat, everything we think that everything's okay. This has happened so many times uh, in student ministry, the years I've been doing student ministry, where I'll get a phone call from someone um, it can be, sometimes it's tragically right before they graduate from high school. Uh, I had one of these a couple years ago where a mom called me and their child, their son was just about to graduate high school and they said, hey, I'm, she tells me this whole long story about how I just really, oh, my child was involved with sports and this, that, and the other, and they've been a great kid all the way through and they're having these conversations with them and realize I just don't think he's a Christian at all. And, you know, at that point, I want to, 
I want to come in and rescue. I want to help. How can we, what can we do? But, you know, if they haven't been coming to church, we don't even have a relationship with them, the student ministry. It's very difficult to come alongside a family in that situation. But it's easy. My point is not necessarily how, how they got there, though we could, we could discuss that. But the fact that uh, it's easy when you have a child who's not causing any waves to just think everything's fine. If you're not engaged, if you're not having these deep conversations, uh, to start to think, well, hey, wait a second, what is really going on at a heart level with my child in regards to their relationship with God? You know, what is happening at the heart level? Um, so, so how are we discerning that? And I, I wonder, is it easier, here's a question that I have, is it easier for them to fly under the radar if we keep them in the bubble? Okay, I'm, uh, we can have a Christian bubble. Some of you may have your kids in homeschool or private school or public school. I've done all three of those and, and like all of them for different reasons. Um, right now I have kids at perimeter school and it's a bubble for sure. Um, and it can be a wonderful bubble. But you start to think, does the bubble kind of hide where they're at in this, in this uh, what's going on in their heart? Sometimes they just don't have opportunities and, and so, you know, you want to think about that. Um, do we really know if their faith is real because it hasn't really been tested? That's the question that I'm asking. What are you doing to allow your child's faith to be tested? What situations are they being put in that allow them to be tested so that you can see what's going on? Because really the point of engagement is when the test comes. And that can be engagement with the world, Okay. So we've used some, some stick figures and stuff in the past to talk about this. But like, here's a picture of engagement with the world. So you have a student who, your child, and these things right here are what I call like barriers, right? These are things that we, we want to protect our kids, right? We do different things. We, we monitor what they watch. We have, you know, things on their phone to keep them from going places they shouldn't go or maybe a filter on the internet, that's what some of those barriers are. Some of those barriers are the friends that we allow them to hang out with, right? Some of those barriers might be, I don't want them in a public school setting, so I might choose a private school or, you know, so those barriers that we put up because we see the world out here and the world can take lots of different, you know, media sources or friends or whatever, and we don't want the world to get at our kids. We want to keep them in that, in that bubble, right? And so as they get older, right, what we should be doing is getting rid of those barriers slowly, right? Taking those away, giving them more and more freedom, knowing that ultimately they're going to be out of our house with complete freedom, being able to do whatever they want, okay? So, but there is, as they interact with the world, when the forces of the world come in and interact with them, that is a test. That's a decision point. That is a place where they're interacting and the temptation can happen. So how do they respond to that temptation reveals the heart. And that's what we want to see. You want to see how the heart is being revealed when it's tested. We, don't, we often see temptation as a, as a bad thing, but the temptation just reveals what's already inside. Uh, this can also happen when they interact with non-Christians. And you got the, the next slide. So again, we, when we say, oh, I'm worried about the friends that they're interacting with, right? We want our kids to be sharing the gospel. Right? So that is where this, if our kids, we want them to be influencers, for them to have the influence on somebody else that they meet, maybe on their soccer team 
or in Boy Scouts or, you know, whatever, you know, situation at school, in the play, everything. We want them to be influencing. That's what our job is as Christians, right? Is to be salt and light to an unbelieving world. But here's what we fear. We fear the way that our kids are responding when they interact with a non-believer, right? That's a fear that we have is, well, how, how are they responding to this? But the thing is, what I'm saying is that's the revealer of what's really going on. When that temptation happens, when that decision point happens, the small choices, somebody said, that they're making, um, the point of engagement, that is one of the things that we need to be aware of um, as they're interacting. So keeping them in the bubble kind of takes away this idea that really we can kind of see always that what is the danger is something out there instead of what's in here. This is the real danger uh, that our kids are facing, right? Um, it's not necessarily the phone or the movie or the lyrics. Um, when they walk into that party and there's alcohol there, the first time they're at a party without us, that's a decision point that reveals what's really in their heart. When they date somebody for the first time and they face those physical challenges, um, when they interact with that first secular teacher or professor who's an atheist and they've never really been exposed to those ideas before how are they going to respond when uh, they're on the soccer field and everybody's cursing and you know the temptation to play dirty or whatever is happening how are they responding um, you know again we see all these things as oh it's out there is the thing we need to be worried about instead of what's in here and in mark 7 he says jesus says what comes out of a person is what defiles him for for from within the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, weakness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and that's what defiles a person. Right? Uh, we have to constantly remember that within the hearts, uh, within our hearts and within the hearts of our kids is enough sin to damn them, that damn them to hell. Right? For all eternity. We don't have to always be worried that it's something outside, uh, that it, but it actually reveals what's going on inside. So what, what does the prodigal look like? Okay, if you have a prodigal instead of a Pharisee, what, is, what does he look like or she look like? They're easier to spot, right? Most of the time, anyway. They're usually not following the rules. Uh, they usually kind of want their own way. Uh, they go against the flow. Um, you see that they, they want all the world offers. They view authority as an inconvenient obstacle standing in between them and their happiness. You may have uh, one of those in your house. Um, you know, this is the child that none of us want. Again, the Pharisee can kind of go undercover for a while, and we're okay with that because uh, we may not even be aware that they are, but the prodigal is somebody that we don't want, and yet in some ways, a prodigal is honest. A prodigal lets you know where you are with them. Okay, I'd rather know if my child's not a believer when they're a freshman than when they're a senior, because then the way I interact with them is different. The, the way that I talk to them is different. You know, don't, not wanting them to fly under the radar, I'd rather know ahead of time so that I can interact with them and pray for them in a way that is different. Um, so, honestly, we obviously don't need a test um, 
We don't need a test for rebellion because it's usually obvious. But the prodigal, what they do for us is we know how to pray for them, but we also become fully aware that we're not in control. When we have a prodigal, we become aware that we're not in control. And sometimes when our kids are Pharisees, we kind of think we're doing things pretty well or we're not, we're, we're not really aware that we aren't in as much control. And so, you know, that can be, again, a real, a real test for us. Um, so how do we identify authentic faith? How do you do that? How do we tell and looking at our kids and go, well, how do I know if what the, the faith that they have is real? Um, you have in Matthew 7, another passage, and Jesus is talking, and he says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, for by its fruit you will recognize them. And then he continues, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. See, I think this, even though he says you can tell um, these prophets this way, I think you can, this is a test for all of us, because then he says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So we need to be good at looking for fruit, right? We need to start examining fruit as we look in our kids' lives. Um, and, and it's not a short-term thing either. It's kind of a long haul uh, when our kids are younger, especially in the younger grades, fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, um, and they're making decisions, often we're making most of the decisions for them. Where, like, who are their friends? Where are they going to go uh, hang out? What can they watch, right? We have a lot more of those barriers in place, and there's not as much opportunity to see the fruit because we're really making a lot of the decisions for them. But when they start to make the decisions, and when we start to give them more and more freedom to operate and make those decisions, right, then we have to be looking for fruit. Now, again, we have to be engaged, though, when that's happening. It is easy to say, oh, well, everything's fine. I'm not hearing bad reports. The grades are good to disengage. And then we don't really know. We're not really looking at the fruit that's taking place. So we do need to be careful of that. Um, you know, we have other parables Again, there's so much scripture we can go to in this. But like the parable of the sower, for example, where he says you throw seeds and some seeds fall in the, on the rocky ground, right? And it takes no root. Some fall in the shallow soil or the rocky soil. Now, what happens to that plant that falls in the shallow or rocky soil? It springs up, right? Right away. So that looks like fruit. It springs up and shows something. And for a while, you can think, man, this, this person really gets it. Uh, some falls among the weeds, and what happens to that seed? It's choked out, right? It's spring, it comes up, but then it's unfruitful because it's choked out by the desires of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth. And so you see that one, and only the one that falls in the good soil springs up and produces a crop, right, of 30, 60, or 100-fold. doesn't say they're all going to be 100-fold kids. Some might be 30. Some might be 60. 
but there's going to be some fruit. I mean, sometimes we're looking at our kids and hoping for a dried up raisin or something on a branch, right? You're like, give me something. Show me that there's something going on there in your heart uh, that I see that God is working. And so, you know, I feel like I constantly, when I think about this subject matter, have to remind myself of this truth, and and we are going to definitely come back to this truth over and over again, is only God can bring my child to faith. As parents, we carry a lot of of guilt for all kinds of things. Um, And we have to constantly remind ourselves that there is no magic formula for this. It is not A plus B equals C, and we want that formula, though. We want to go, man, if I do everything right, my kid's going to walk with the Lord. And that may not be the case. Um, Only God can bring someone to faith. Um, the other, but I praise God that the opposite is true. I may do everything wrong, and my child may come to faith. Right? That can also happen. So we do need to remind ourselves of this truth. Look at uh, Romans 9. Paul is talking, and he says this, Not only so, but when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not born and had not done either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends, verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. What if we took out the word human and put in parent? So then it depends not on a parent's will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. John six forty four says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Nobody can come to me unless my father draws him. Um, This is a truth that I find actually very comforting. Um, It's scary, but it's comforting to know. Uh, So we we have these crazy stats right now. You'll see where the Barna will come out and say, you know, the sky's falling, and 75% of all students who leave and go to college after college are not walking with the Lord. Okay, you'll, you'll probably see that stat somewhere. And when you see that, you think, gosh, I hope that doesn't happen with me, and I hope that doesn't happen with my child. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that over the next, over the next few weeks and kind of get into things like this because um, we see these people and authors saying these things, but we know the sky is not falling because we know that God's in control. And we have to cling to that at times when we doubt and when we're worried and when we're concerned And we have to cling to that when we think everything's going well. We still need to remind ourselves that God's the one who ultimately is control. So you can be a great parent, and your kids may not follow Jesus. And you can be a parent who makes all kinds of mistakes. And again, your child might end up totally following the Lord. And that is the mercy of God. Um, So what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, though, is we're going to talk about what can you do? What do you control? 
Because if God is the one who ultimately controls their salvation, how do we try to develop an environment, right, where at least we can spot some of these other things, the Pharisee or the prodigal? How can we develop an atmosphere that is conducive to them not being inoculated, but actually seeing and enjoying God uh, that they see happening in our homes? Uh, so we'll, we'll be talking about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and Cammie's going to come up and share with us a little bit. Heavenly Father, thank you for these, these parents that are here. And Lord, we desperately, we want our children to walk with you. We want them to have a life-changing encounter with the living God. And so, Lord, we don't, we don't know how to do that. We want a formula. We want to say A plus B equals C, that if I just do the right things, my child will walk with you. And Lord, there are things that we can do in wisdom. You call us to teach our children and and to walk with them along the road and instruct them. And so many things, Lord, and yet we are sinners and we walk, uh, Lord, in front of our kids. They see the mess that we are at times as well. And so, Lord, may grace just permeate our lives and the the lives of our households. And uh, may the gospel shine forth in love and in mercy and in joy in our homes. So, Lord, give us wisdom as we discuss this over the next few weeks. Uh, All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, guys. Such so many familiar faces. It's so good to see you guys again. Um, I do think this is a hard lesson, right? Like as a mama. Um, Looking at my kids' spiritual journey is hard. I want to give them my faith to just dump all my knowledge and understanding and experience into their little hearts and minds, right? So they don't have to make the mistakes I've made so that they have a shortcut to deep and vibrant relationship with the Lord. Um, But I can't any more than you guys can. And part of what I like to share at Parent You is just the idea that there's truth and there's understanding, but then what does it look like when we're living, right? As, as moms and dads in our homes. And we all know that our children are on their own journeys. But we have influence. And I think that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. Um, I'm powerless to control my children's spiritual, spiritual journey. But I have influence. I can point them to the Lord. I can model a desire for God and a love of his word and a desperation for his redemption, his wisdom and, and mercy. I can pray for them that the Lord will be merciful in their lives and that he will protect them from the sin in the world, but also the sin in their own hearts. Um, but one of the hardest things I think as a mama is knowing that is allowing them to take control of their own lives. It's such a fearful season, isn't it? Like you look at them and the dangers just seem bigger. They seemed bigger than when they were little and they were wanting to stick their finger in a light socket. <laughs> um, but I, in that, we have to learn to trust God. And that's where our faith has to grow. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And this week I talked to, I I was talking with a mama who has a four-year-old. And she was at her wit's end because the four-year-old was having, like, major tantrums. (laughs) And it's so funny when you look at, like, someone with a toddler, and my youngest is 11, and so you kind of go, oh, I remember those days. 
And you're like nostalgic. And they're all like, oh, like give me some hope. And I'm like, oh, it just gets harder. <laughs> you know, I remember um, holding my strong-willed preschooler, you know, who spanking didn't work with and everything just escalated. And I would put her in this grip, you know, to try and, and say, you are not in charge. I am in charge. You are not in charge. I am in charge. You know, <laughs> and I would do that when she was little and she'd scream bloody murder. And I would just pray in desperation to God to come back like today, right now in this moment, <laughs> because I felt helpless, right? Like the needs of this child were greater than any parenting strategy I had. And as I was talking to this mama of a four-year-old, I realized I'm in that same place times four because I have four kids. And I, I am just as desperate, maybe more so, for the Lord's presence, for his tangible presence, for his wisdom. Do I say this? Do I not say this? Is this helpful or is this teaching them, making them dependent on me? Or am I just vomiting my own fears and anger and sin all over them. Like it's, I can't do this parenting of teens in my own strength. I need God in every moment of every day. Um, an older, wiser, uh, an older mama who's wiser than me, her, her, all her kids are grown and she has grandbabies, um, shared with me this just recently that God only really gives us two parenting strategies. Have you heard this before? One is prayer, and the other one is God's word. <laughs> um, and she said that, that because what works with one child doesn't work with another, right? Like, even the same strategy doesn't work from one week to the next with the child. You spank, you don't spank, you do timeouts, you do restrictions, you ground them, you make them clean the kitchen for a month, wh- whatever. It may or may not work. But... What is amazing is that as Christians, we have the creator of our children walking this road with us. We are not alone. And God sees beyond the outward behavior of our children. He knows if they're Pharisees or if they're prodigals. And he already knows the end of the story. He knows where we're going. And as we cry out to him in prayer and seek his wisdom through his word, God shows up. He actually loves our children more than we do. I'm going to say that again. God loves your child more than you. That might be easier to believe some days than others, right? (laughs) I mean, if you're like me with your teens and older. Now we have a 21-year-old, and that's just weird. I'm just telling you. It just is. Um, God loves them because he had a plan for their salvation that was before they were even born. And he sacrificed for them more than we've sacrificed. I mean, I know I think I've sacrificed all I could possibly sacrifice for my children. But God sacrificed more. And he knows what our kids need. And we can depend on him to show up. Um, He is using the life of our teens, the relationship we have with our teens, in their life to guide and shape and direct them. But he's also using them in our lives. And when I say, and I say this, I think every parent, you, parenting teens is sanctifying, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's not a bad thing. That's really a good thing. It's a hard thing, but it's a good thing because we can trust God. We can. It's hard some days, 
But we can trust the Lord. We can trust that he is doing a work that is beyond what we can see. We can trust that God can use our best moments as a parent and our worst moments as a parent for our good and for the good of our students, our children, because God is a redeemer and he is our savior. He is our savior as parents. He is saving us. Sometimes God, I promise you, puts his hands over my mouth and says, not out loud. He saves me in that moment. And sometimes he saves me by me having to go and say I'm sorry, you know, like saving looks lots of different ways. But he is my savior as a parent, and he's also the savior of our kids. Because the hope we have, and this is something that I feel like God is just massaging into my life right now, is that we are not a people without hope. Like you can learn this about the prodigal, and you can learn this about the Pharisee, and you can feel like a bit hopeless, I think. But God gives us hope. Because of what Jesus did, we have hope. And even though our kids might be acting like complete Pharisees or complete prodigals in this moment, in this day, God is writing a story that's beyond that. And we can trust him because God chose you to be your child's parent. He did. He looked at all the people of the whole world and he said, this is the one I want for this child. And so he will show up in our lives. I, when I was talking to this mama of a four-year-old who was thrown a tantrum, I was shocked at how I really had things to share with her. Because I just remember in that time feeling so inadequate. Like I came to church and I sped read The Strong-Willed Child during a worship service in the bookstore because I was so desperate for some kind of wisdom to know what to do. And I never felt like I was doing what I should be doing. Like, it always felt wrong. Like, it just didn't fit, and it wasn't working, and it wasn't producing the results I wanted. But as a, you know, years, years later, eight years later, I can look back and go, oh, God showed up in that moment. Oh, I see how he told me to do this, and I wouldn't have known that on my own. So it's that dependence on God that I think that this time of raising teens is. God shows up in the same way for us now. So our hope is not set on the behaviors of our children, either them being a Pharisee or a prodigal. Our hope is on Christ, and he's the one that makes our faith authentic, and we can trust him. So let's pray together. Dear God, I just pray for every parent here and every child in every home that's represented here. Lord, we need you tangibly in the moment. We need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We need your self-control. We need you to reveal to us the hearts of our children and how we can be influencers and how we can speak into it. And when we need to be silent and pray and be parents of prayer, I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, that we are not walking this road alone, that you promise to be with us, and that when we cry out to you, that you show up and you will be there with us and you will give us wisdom, even if we don't know we have it. Because it's not from us, it's from you. And that you would guide and direct us to a deeper relationship with you because of our relationship with our children. And that our children would see that. And we do pray for salvation for each of our children, that you would be Lord of their life, that they would love you with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that they would desire to walk in obedience, not as Pharisees, but as your beloved children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, next week I'm going to be actually out of town for a conference. I'm doing a high school retreat for another church. So Cammie's going to be sharing next week about some things like how do your kids catch you enjoying God? 
She's going to be talking about Sabbath. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you Sabbath at your house? Like, is that's a, a major part of the way our kids kind of see our faith interact on a regular basis and just personal struggles. So these are some things that we'll be going over next week, and then I'll be back uh, for the following two weeks. So y'all are dismissed, and have a great Lord's Day.